Welcome to our podcast again, and today we're starting a new series. The series is going to take certain stories from the Old Testament and look at them deeply and try to see how Christ is portrayed in the Old Testament. As a pastor, I had many people that came to me throughout the years and said they just don't get into the Old Testament. They get bogged down with genealogies or descriptions of the tabernacle and temple and things like that, or even the various laws of Leviticus, and they just don't want to read the Old Testament. And I'm like hurting because it's not just a history book. Even with the history of the stories that God has recorded for us in the Old Testament, He is revealing Himself to us. And the better we know the Old Testament, the clearer picture we understand of how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of who he was as Messiah. So I I hope that by these series of podcasts and looking at just a few of the Old Testament stories, it may encourage you or inspire you to even go deeper into reading the Old Testament. And today, we're going to look at the life of Abraham and Isaac and also Isaac's wife, Rebecca, and how that all came to be. And that's basically in Genesis chapter 22, 23, and 24. Now, just as a refresher as we start this, you remember that God had called Abraham from uh, his home country to leave his country and his family and to go to a place that he would show him. And as he was going, God on three different occasions promised Abraham that his descendants would become a mighty nation. The problem with that was that Abraham didn't even have a child. And so it was 25 years and three different times of promises. God saying, your descendants are going to become a mighty nation. He never even had one child. Three different times God came to Abraham and reconfirming that promise that he was going to have a child. And he waited for 25 years before he and his wife, Sarah, in their old age, have the miracle of having a baby. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this happened so that Abraham and Sarah would both be as good as dead so that when this baby was born, they would see that this was a miraculous birth. Nothing that could be done in the flesh, but it was a miracle that they had this baby and that God had to have his hand on them to make this happen. And so a number of years have passed in Genesis 22, then God speaks to Abraham again and tells him, Abraham, he's testing his faith. He said, I want you to go to a mountain that I'm going to show you in the land of Moriah. I want you to take your son, the son that you love, the son that was born to in your old age, and I want you to sacrifice him to me as a burnt offering. Now, Abraham, being the man of faith he was, didn't question God. The scripture tells us that early in the morning, he got up and he prepared the wood, got everything together and put it on a donkey. And he got two servants to go along with him. And he was sure to take Isaac, his son. Now, most historians tell us that at this time, Isaac was probably a young boy. He's probably 10 to 13 years old. So he's old enough to know what's going on. And the scripture tells us that they sat out on a three-day journey. And when they came to the land of Moriah, uh, Abraham looked up and he saw the mountain. God confirmed, said, that's the place where I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice to me. So he left the two servants there at the place and he took the wood that was on the donkeys and he placed it on Isaac's back. And they made their way up the hill. And as they were walking up the hill, Isaac is old enough to understand what's going on. He has seen his father build altars. He's seen his father do sacrifices. And he looks up and he says, "Uh, Father said, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham answered his son with that great passage of Scripture that we all know now. And the words have become almost familiar to us as English words, Jehovah Jireh. God will see to it. God will provide. Literally, Isaac asked, where is the lamb? 
And he said, Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. So they go on up to the mountain, and Abraham indeed does build the altar. And then he takes the wood that he had laid on his son's back, and he places it on the altar. And he binds up his son and lays him on top of the wood. And he has the knife raised in his hand. He's ready to plunge it into the heart of his son and to kill his son, to be obedient to God. When Abraham hears the angel speak from heaven and says, Abraham, don't lay a hand on on your boy. Now I know that you fear and you respect God and you would not even withhold your only son from him. And so I will bless you. And then Abraham heard something behind him. He turned around and he looked and he saw a ram whose horns were caught in the bush. So he took the ram and he substituted it for his son Isaac. And he named the place the Lord will provide. Again, Jehovah Jireh. And even people today, the scripture tells us, says on that mountain of the Lord, it was provided. And the angel of the Lord spoke for a second time to Abraham at the conclusion of that sacrifice and said, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, the angel said, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now the scripture is real clear that says Abraham returned to his servants and to the donkey and they went back home. And in the next story we find in the Bible is Sarah, Abraham's wife, Isaac's mother, passing away. And Abraham works with the people that he's living around and he barters with them to buy a piece of property to bury Sarah. And the grief that uh, Abraham and Isaac had was deep. And so after they come out of that grieving process, Abraham realizes it's time to find a wife for his son Isaac. And it's a lot different in the East in those days than what we do here in the West these days. And it isn't where we go out and we find and select our own mate and who's the person that's going to be our spouse. Uh, the parents usually arrange those marriages. And so Abraham knew it was time in his old age to get that done. So he sent one of his most faithful servants out on a mission to go back to the land where the rest of Abraham's family lived, which was 500 miles away, and to bring back a young lady that would be an appropriate and a suitable partner and spouse for Isaac. And he gave him three um, conditions that had to be met. First of all, he would not choose a woman from the Canaanites. It had to be somebody from his family because this was going to be the woman that these descendants were going to come from and through whom Messiah would come. So it had to be the right woman. It had to be somebody from his family and not of the Canaanites. And he made sure to say, and don't take my son back to that land. The promise is that God is going to give this land to my son so I cannot let him go back there. And the, this faithful servant took 10 camels loaded down with gifts to give as a dowry for uh, the family that would supply the bride. And he took some servants along with him and he made that 500 mile journey. And he asked God to really be with him and to show him who would be right. And he arrived late in the evening at the well. And that was the time the women of the city would come out to the well to get water to take back to their homes for their families to be able to use. And lo and behold, God brings Rebecca right there. And the servant meets her, finds out that this is one of Abraham's relatives, and goes back and stays with the family and recounts how God has not only brought him to that point, but how God has blessed Abraham and made him a rich man and how in his old age uh, he and his wife Sarah had a baby and Sarah's died now and it's time for Isaac to get married. 
and ask if they would be willing for Rebecca to go back to the place where Abraham lives and become Isaac's bride. And they were all for it. And then they asked Rebecca, would you, are you ready to go? And she said, I will go. And they made the long journey back. And as they arrived to the place where Isaac was living and working, Rebecca looked at the servant and said, who is that young man? And the servant said, that's my master. So she climbed down off the camel because it was not socially etiquette for a woman to be riding an animal in the presence of a strange man. So she got down off the camel, she covered her face, and in humility and submission, she went and presented herself to Isaac. And the scripture is so cool. It says that Isaac took her into his mother's tent, and she became his wife, and that he learned to love her. And because of the love that he had for his wife, that helped him offset the grief that he had over the loss of his mother. That's a a beautiful story, and that's a very condensed version of those three chapters. I would encourage you to read through them on your own. But the thing of it is, this passage of Scripture, these stories that are in there, are not just history. There's something deeper inside this story that we should be able to see. And it reminds me of when uh, I was a young man and newly married, my wife and I, we'd go through the malls and there were pictures on a lot of the stores and they looked just like a graphic mosaic that just looked like tile or something on them. But they said if you would walk up to those pictures and get real close to them and focus in on the center point and then let your eyes kind of unfocus and just go lazy that you would see a, a, a whole new picture would appear. And it would be sometimes pictures of famous people, sometimes pictures of famous places or monuments or things like that. And I don't know what's wrong with me, but I tried that for all the years that those were out there, and I never saw one of those deeper pictures inside what's called those stereogram 3Ds. Now, I don't care that I couldn't see those pictures, but I hope that I have spiritual eyes to be able to see the pictures, the deeper pictures that God has for us in His Word to be able to understand not only the stories of the Bible, but how He is revealing Himself to us. And as we look at this story, we see four personalities, four characters that are in here that are very important for us to be able to understand how God is relating to us. We have Abraham who was the father. We have Isaac, who was the son. We have the servant, who was faithful to his master. And we have Rebecca, who came back to be the bride for Isaac. Well, Abraham represents God the father. Uh, And a lot of people have heard the story of God asking Abraham to go to a mountain, kill his own son. And many people just revolt against that, saying, what kind of God would ask any earthly father to take his son and to sacrifice him to this God. So that just doesn't make sense. Well, there was a purpose behind this of what God was doing. And God was doing this to test Abraham. And the thing of it is, you have to know the whole story of how God is revealing himself to you because this isn't the first test that God placed on Abraham. As you read the story where Abraham comes into the biblical record in Genesis 12, there are many different things that God used to test his faith. There was first the family test about leaving your family and following him and to go to a land that God would show him. He didn't even tell him where he would go. He just said, follow me. Abraham passed the family test. Then there was the famine test because he arrived in the land that God had said was going to be his. But then there wasn't enough food for him and his family and for all his flocks. So they fled to Egypt to be able to find food. So he failed the famine test because God never told him to go to Egypt. He wanted to stay right there in the promised land. Then when they came back, there was the fellowship test. 
God had blessed Abraham so much and he had his nephew Lot with him and he too had flocks and herds and both of them were real rich. They were so rich and there were so many they couldn't continue to live together. And Abraham had the right to choose being the patriarch of the family where he wanted to go and leave Lot to find some place for himself. But Abraham passed the fellowship test because he allowed Lot to choose. He said, Lot, the land is before us. You choose which way you want to go. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And Abraham just humbly submitted himself to someone who was younger, that he had the right to have authority over. So he passed the fellowship test. And then came the fight test. There were kings that came in from the east and they uh, overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's where Lot had wound up living. And they captured Lot and his family and took him away. And Abraham took his 318 servants and went and rescued not only Lot and his family, but all of the prisoners and captives that had been taken from Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. So Abraham passed the fight test. But then there's the fortune test. As Abraham brought all the spoils back, uh, the king of Sodom was so appreciative. He said, Abraham, you take anything and everything you want. And Abraham said, no, I am not going to take one sandal strap from you because I don't want you or anyone else to be able to say that you made me rich. And so Abraham passed the fortune test of not taking things from wicked people. But then right on that scene appears the priest Melchizedek. And Abraham not only refuses to take fortune, but he gives a tithe of what God has given him to this high priest that shows up. He's the king of Salem, the king of peace. And Abraham uh, shows his submission to authority by giving to this priest. And so he passes the fortune test. And then he failed the fatherhood test. God had promised him on you know many different occasions that he'd become a father, but it wasn't happening. And Abraham was growing older and older. And Abraham said, well, maybe my servant Eliezer will be my son and be the descendant that you're talking about. God said, no, it's not your servant. You will have a son, and it will be from your wife, Sarah. Well, then Sarah got a little anxious about not being able to have a child and thought, well, I've got to do something. So she offered her handmaiden, Hagar, as a surrogate wife to have a child, and that that child, since she was a servant, would become Sarah's son. And that's exactly what happened, but it still wasn't God's plan. And so... Now it's come about where he comes. But he, he failed the fatherhood test. But then came the farewell test. When it was time for Hagar's son, Ishmael, to leave home, God said, go ahead and send him away. I will take care of your son. He too will become a great nation, and I will bless him as he goes. But it's time for him to separate because Isaac had been born, and that was the son of promise. And so Abraham, he passed that test in sending Ishmael away so Isaac would be the chosen son. So when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain, it wasn't the first test, but it was by far the most difficult test that Abraham had, had faced. And the thing of it is, God deals with us the same way today. If we're in faith in Jesus Christ, it's like a uh, life is like a school. And when we're in school, if we don't take tests, we never know how we're coming along and learning and applying those things in our lives. So God has to give us tests, not so God will know how we're going to react. And God didn't ask Abraham to go sacrifice his son to see if, if so God would know how Abraham went. God knew what Abraham would do. God put this test to Abraham so Abraham could discover 
what Abraham would do in that situation. And he passed the test with flying colors. And it not only blessed Abraham, it even blesses us today because that blessing has extended through Jesus Christ coming to this world. So all of us who are Christians ought to just give thanks that Abraham passed this test to sacrifice his only son. Um, The other thing about it is, this is the kind of God that would never ask us to do anything that he himself was not willing to do. And this God that asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son is the God who, as Romans chapter 8 says, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all so that we could be forgiven. He allowed his son to die on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. So when people get out of sorts about God asking Abraham to do this, they got to realize that God was drawing the picture so we would understand the great sacrifice that God would give of his own son so that we could be made right with God. So Abraham represents God the Father. But then we have the son. We have Isaac the son that when they got to the mountain, the the scripture tells us that Abraham took the wood and placed it on Isaac's back and they went up to the mountain to make the sacrifice. And I've thought about this many times in my life. I've even probably taught it before to other people. And that, that wood that Abraham placed on Isaac's back is just like the cross that Jesus Christ carried to Calvary to die on for our sins. I just learned this a couple weeks ago. And I knew this, but I'm learning the application of this deeper picture. Jesus didn't carry the cross to Calvary. He buckled under the weight of the trials and the beatings and the scourgings and the mockings and the humiliation, and he lost strength and didn't have the strength to carry the cross to Calvary. The soldiers pulled a man out from the crowd who was Simon of Cyrene, and he literally carried the cross to Calvary for Jesus to be placed on to die. The burden that God the Father in heaven placed upon his son Jesus Christ was not the wood of the cross. It was the weight of my sin. It was the weight of your sin. It was the weight of the sin of the world. As a matter of fact, Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray, meaning we've all sinned. So we have this sin that separates us from God. We've all turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. So what God the Father laid upon his son, Jesus Christ, as he was getting ready to be the sacrifice for our sin was our sins completely. Jesus died without sin, and because he died not sinning himself, then his sacrifice could be sufficient to cover for our sins. And we can be cleansed, and we can be restored in a right relationship by trusting that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, Isaac didn't die a physical death. He only died, as Hebrews says, figuratively speaking. He died because Abraham was willing to sacrifice him. But Jesus Christ literally died a physical death on that cross. But not only did he die a physical death, he died a spiritual death because when God put upon him our sin, holy God cannot look upon our sin. And the holy God turned his back upon his son when he was carrying the weight of our sin. And he allowed the judgment of our sin to be taken out on Jesus Christ on that cross. Hebrews eleven twenty nine says that our God is a consuming fire. Often that fire of God is represented as judgment. And so the judgment for my sin, the judgment for your sin, the judgment for every person that's ever lived, the sin of every person that's ever lived on this earth was taken out on Jesus Christ. 
And if we humbly submit ourselves to him, then that sacrifice is sufficient to replace for the penalty of my sin and Christ paid for my sin and that I can live as Jesus Christ lives now in a right relationship with God. So we have the son. And another interesting note is that when Abraham and Isaac finished the sacrifice, the scripture in chapter 22 of Genesis says that Abraham returned to the servants and to the donkey and returned home. doesn't say anything about Isaac returning off that Mount Moriah. Isaac obviously did, but he disappears from the biblical record after the sacrifice and does not reappear again till the end of chapter 24 when the servant brings Rebekah, his bride. That's when Isaac reappears. He disappears from the scriptures for over a chapter, almost two full chapters, and then reappears when the bride comes. This is a picture. Again, it's one of those deeper pictures that God has for us in the story. This is a picture of the next event that's going to happen in God's plan of salvation. As Christ has been sacrificed, he was risen from the dead and he's ascended into heaven. And one day when his bride is prepared and in place, he's going to return to this earth and receive his bride to himself. And so the next time we're going to see Jesus Christ come to this earth, he's going to come back for a wedding. It's the wedding of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, receiving his bride, the church. Jesus is going to happen. Now, how's that going to take place? That's the third character in the story, and that's the servant who was obedient to his master, and he was not only obedient to his master, but he was trusting God to lead him to the right place and to the right person who would be the bride for his servant's son. And he did that faithfully, which that represents for us who the Holy Spirit is. See, the Holy Spirit now is God that's moving throughout this world, And he is actively trying to prepare a bride for Jesus Christ to come and receive. And the Holy Spirit is working and walking throughout this world. And his job, if you want to say, or his ministry is to convict people, to convict sinners. First of all, to convict them of their sin. Nobody will look for salvation until they know first that they're a sinner. And it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us to realize, yeah, I've done wrong. But the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. He also convicts people of a need for righteousness. There's something wrong with our life, and the Holy Spirit's trying to say there is a righteousness out there, and you need to find that because the third thing the Holy Spirit doing is convicting of a coming judgment. And one day, each and every one of us are going to stand individually before God Almighty, and we're going to stand there in judgment. And if we have accepted the, the atonement of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, then we pass right through and we go to the home, just like Isaac welcomed Rebekah into his tent and, and Rebekah became his wife. Jesus will welcome us into his home and we will live with him for eternity if we receive that. If we don't, then we'll be cast out into outer darkness where there is continual pain and, and judgment upon our life because then we pay for our sins because we didn't accept the sacrifice of Jesus that paid for our sins. So anyone who responds to the Spirit's call will be included in that bride of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is now working in the world just like that servant was faithful to follow his master's command. The Holy Spirit is faithful to follow the command of God the Father. And then the last person in the story is Rebecca, which represents us. And it's interesting that when Rebecca came and she found out that this was Isaac, the one that she was to marry, I mean, she willingly and she humbly 
dismounted from that camel, and she was willing to give her life to her husband and, and to be submitted to him for the rest of her life. And she did that just exactly the way the society would do it. And so when we understand the way, the deeper picture of what God is doing and calling us back to himself so we can be reconciled to him, when we humbly submit ourselves to Jesus Christ as being the Lord of our life, he will become our Savior. But as Lord, we have to be willing to follow and to obey his words. And when we do, then we are faithfully walking with him. And then God, through the Holy Spirit, can use us to illuminate for other people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and how they too can be forgiven of their sins and have a place in eternity waiting for them to be welcomed in as the bride of Christ. So I hope today, as you've listened to this podcast, You've not only heard the history or heard the story of what Genesis 22, 23, and 24 are about, I hope you've seen the deeper picture of how God is revealing himself to you. And if this has meant something to you, we would so much appreciate it if you would take time to rate and review this podcast for us. And if you have a question or a comment about this podcast, you can email me at mike at risen.church, and risen is spelled R-I-Z-E-N. If you have a question or comment, I would be sure to try to respond to you as quickly as possible. And if we get enough of them, we may even make a future podcast out of questions and, and comments that have been made and just go deeper into the thoughts of what this is all about. And our next podcast, uh, which will be coming up in just a couple of weeks, uh, going to take another Old Testament story, and we're going to see the whole picture, the great picture of the whole life of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ out of Nehemiah chapter 3. So until then, I pray that you have a, a great day and God blesses you in everything you do.